then give, engaging with God. Okay, so what's the modern day issue? In uh, many Kabbalistic and Hasidic teachings, we are taught that the woman must first entice and arouse the man, after which there can be copulation. However, then the teachings go on to teach that the man has to first empower the woman to arouse and entice the man, meaning that it is the man who must first entice and arouse the woman. Now, when Kabbalah and Hasidus speak about men and women, especially in intimacy, it is metaphoric. What the metaphor is? Well, that depends upon the topic it's dealing with. It may be about our soul's masculine faculties and its feminine faculties, which are the reflection of the holy masculine emanations, the svirot, and the holy feminine emanations. Lower than this, it may be speaking of the soul, which is the masculine, and its body, which is the feminine. Highest of all, however, the source of all male and female intimacy, it speaks of God, male, the husband, and the Jewish people, female, the wife. At Mount Sinai, there was the wedding between the husband and the wife, God and the Jewish people. And thus, we are being taught that when we are engaging with our relationship with God, our first job is always to receive from God. The male has to first empower the woman to be able to then entice and arouse the man. And only after this can we give God. Yes, our relationship with God begins with the simple humility of being on the receiving end and knowing that it is only through humbly receiving from God that we can ever give back to God. So when it comes to our relationship with God, we'll always be on the receiving end first. Thus, first take, then give. This lecture is based primarily on a Maimur Hasidic teaching of the Rebbe Blessed Memory delivered on the Shabbos in 1965 exploring the donations, the offerings that were given in this week's Torah portion in order to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the mobile holy temple which Moses and the Jewish people built in the desert which eventually evolved into the holy temple that King David planned and King Solomon built on in Jerusalem on Temple Mount. Okay, so now this is the modern day issue that I want to talk about, this receiving before giving. Many of us have a huge issue in general with the art of receiving and the art of humility it takes to begin with receiving. We're going to talk about that in this lecture. However, before we get into the lecture, a couple of introductions. Introduction. Three donations, three offerings. This week's Torah portion begins with, and I'm going to read to you the second verse. The verse, first verse just says, and God told Moses, tell the children of Israel. And the second verse begins with what is being said. Speak to the children of Israel and have them take for me an offering. From every person whose heart inspires him to generosity, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering that you shall take from them. So, in the verse, in these two verses, we find three times the word teruma, which means an offering. 
Rashi, Rab Shlomo Yitzchaki, famous classic French commentator of the 11th century, he says, and I quote, Our rabbis say that the word truma, offering, mentioned three times, denotes that three offerings are mentioned here. There's three different type of offerings that the Jewish people had to give. One is the offering of a becca, half shekel per head, from which they made the so sockets, the silver sockets that held up the beams which made the walls of the tabernacle. Another is the offering of a becca per head for the community coffers from which to purchase the communal sacrifices. There's individual sacrifices which an individual had to pay for. But then there's the daily communal sacrifices. And another one, the third one, is the offering for the Mishkan, each one's donation of the 13 materials mentioned in this section, in this chapter, were all required for the work of the Mishkan or for the garments of the Kohanim. So you have the three, you have the half shekel, the silver half shekel from which they made, they actually melted down that silver and they made the foot sockets that was on the ground that held up the, the shoes to the beams that made up the walls. You had the half shekel, which was all about, excuse me, which was all about the going into the communal coffers from which to, to, to then buy the communal sacrifices, the daily communal sacrifices, the annual communal sacrifices for the holidays. And then there was this other offering that people gave anything of these 13 or 15 different opinions, items, which were used, actually used to make up the, the mishka, the tabernacle, the coverings, the uh, vessels, the garments for the priest and the high priest, so forth and so on. So we have here three different types of donations. Now, I read to you the verse and I want to point out some very specific emphasis that take place in the difference between one offering and the other so number one why does the first offering state and you shall take for me the yikhu li rather than the simple direct commandment of and you shall give god tells moses to tell the jews and you shall give this amount why does it say you shall take for me number two why is this offering of taking the first offering mentioned there's three offerings and seemingly the major one would be the one where everyone gave what they wanted of the 13 different, 15 different items. Why do we start with this half shekel of silver, which would make the sockets, the, 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 those little sockets around the beams, on the feet of the beams of the walls. And then thirdly, why is the first offering, unlike the second offering, which it does not say the words, every person whose heart inspires him to generosity. This suggests that the first offering doesn't need to have inspiration of the heart. God doesn't care if you want to give, you don't want to give, just give. Give the half silver shekel. That's the introduction. And now, let us begin the lecture. So as you know, I always start the lecture with giving you a list of the different mystical concepts we're going to explain, from which we'll then be able to come around and wrap up the answer to the questions and then get to the practical modern-day issue. So... This time we have six different mystical concepts, but they're each very short. Number one is a verse that says, Open for me, my sister, my beloved. Number two, receiving, taking, empowerment, the heavenly voices. Number three, the problem with just taking. 
Number four, three personal offerings. What does this mean in my personal day today in the year 2020? E, the fifth one, receiving after giving. So I said take then give. But what's about the receiving after the giving? And then finally, the verse says take from me even when you can't see me. Okay, and let the amazement of Hasidus begin. Let's jump right into the lecture. So the first topic, the verse says, Open for me, my sister, my beloved. A verse of King Solomon. So, what is the purpose of all these three offerings? Our sages explain the purpose as follows. And take for me an offering, and then it quotes the verse of King Solomon in the book of songs, Shira Shirim, Song of Songs, that says, Open for me, my sister, my beloved. And then the sages explain, God says, How long will I go without a home? Rather make for me a sanctuary, the tabernacle, that I should, shouldn't be outside. So the purpose of all these three different offerings is all about to build for God a home, the tabernacle, the holy temple. This is the general purpose of all our service to God that we will fulfill. What's the purpose of creation? The purpose of creation we are taught is that God had a desire and the desire was that we with our freedom of choice which makes it precious we should choose to take our physical lives and this physical world and turn it into an abode, a home for God. For whatever reason God doesn't choose to live in the heavens he wants his primary home to be here on earth. Now, and therefore our sages state, and I say, and it's a, it's, it's a, st a statement from the sages in the Medrash, and it says, and I quote to you, a quote the verse of our Torah portion, and take for me as an offering. And it says that the words, it doesn't mean take for me, it means take me. Take me that I dwell among you. In other words, the commandment is not that we take for God these offerings. Rather, here we're having a more mystical interpretation. Take me. Make for me a home. Bring me into your lives. Take me through building for God a tabernacle. That's the first concept. Let's go to the second concept. Receiving, taking, empowerment. All about the heavenly voices. So let's share what this is. The question is, how do moral finite beings like us, whose work is finite, we are finite and our work is finite. So how can our work become an infinite abode, a home for God, who's infinite and omnipotent? How can that be? Whatever we're going to be, we're finite, what we do is finite, and how can that ever become a home for the infinite omnipotent God? The question is right. And therefore, the order of service to God must begin with God initiating the process by empowering us finite physical mortals to have a relationship and to be of service to God. Without God initiating and empowering, we are finite, we are physical, we are mortal, and there's nothing that we can do that would become a adequate abode and service for the infinite omnipotent God. Thus we need God to empower us first. With this we will understand a very interesting teaching of our sages. 
In Ethics of Our Fathers, Chapter 6, Mishnah 2, our sages tell us that there is a heavenly voice that goes forth and makes an announcement every single day. Every single day, there's a voice that goes out, it talks about it, it goes out from Har Chorev, it goes out from Mount Sinai, and then there's another piece in the Talmud, in, tra in Tractic Chagiga, that says that there's such a heavenly voice which announces Shuvu Vanim, return, O children. And this is what empowers us to return to God. Now the question is that God does nothing in vain. Thus, why do these heavenly announcements come forth if no one can hear them anyway? The Baal Shem Tov, the founder of all Hasidus, he explains as follows that we find that at certain times, unearned, without any preparation, we have this sudden feeling, thought of the mind and feeling of the heart that we want to do Teshuvah. We want to get close to God. Where does this come from? So the Baal Shem Tov explains that this comes from our soul hearing that heavenly announcement. However, the Rebbe says, one second, that would explain why this heavenly announcement is not in vain. But the Talmud says that it's daily. And you and I both sadly know that we don't have daily thoughts and feelings to do Teshuvah and return to God. So why is there daily heavenly announcements? Now to understand the answer of this, we're going to have to turn to a very interesting Talmudic teaching. The Talmudic teaching is about the story in Daniel, in chapter 10. Now, I'm going to read to you one verse of that story. It's a vision that D Daniel had. Daniel was standing with his friends, and he had a vision. And let's see what it says. The verse, chapter 10, verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. But the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great quaking fell upon them, and they fled into hiding. Now our sages see a problem with this verse. If they didn't see the vision, why did they get scared and why did they flee? Daniel should have been the one, the only one, who would have had any reaction. They didn't see, they didn't know something was happening. Why would they begin to tremble and then flee from, from fear? And the answer is that these others, by the way, the others, his friends, was Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, they were all prophets. Why did they shake? Our sages give a simple answer, and I quote, Even though they didn't see, their mazal sore. Now, what is the interpretation of mazal? We know the word mazal as luck. In the Talmud, it doesn't always mean luck. Sometimes it means guardian angel. But here, I want to share with you the Kabbalistic and Hasidic interpretation of what mazal is. So the soul is made up of five levels. The Medrash says, Hamisha Shemus Yikrullah, the soul has five names because each name refers to a different level of the soul. Now the soul in general divides into two. The lower three is the linear finite, which descends of which the lowest of all, nefesh, permeates our actual brain and body. And then there's the two higher ones, the infinite circular ones, which cannot fit in. 
They encompass us from above. They're the elusive one. They're there, but we can't totally absorb it. Now that is called mazal in Kabbalah and Hasidus, the two encompassing levels of the soul. And there's another interesting definition which works with this, that in Hebrew, the word for a drip, a leak, you say zen nozel, nozel and mazal. There are those that say the word mazal comes from nozel. Why? Because the mazal dimensions of the soul, nozel, drips into our subconscious, which affects our conscious. And thus the Talmud is saying that they didn't see it. But their levels of the neshama, the mazal, the infinite circular encompassing levels of the soul, did see it. And from there it dripped down and affected their subconscious into their conscious where they had a physical reaction that they started shaking without even knowing why and they got scared without knowing why and they fled. Now we understand what the heavenly daily announcements are. Because every single one of those daily heavenly voice announcements is heard by our mazal, by the higher all-encompassing circular infinite dimensions of our soul. And from there it drips down and it drips down. So not always do we have a conscious feeling, but it's always causing an effect. Now that we understand this, we understand that there's one caveat. And what is this caveat? The caveat is that King Solomon says, and I quoted to you the verse before in, the, in explaining what we're going to talk about. It is a verse in the book of songs that says like this, Kel Dodi Dofek, my beloved is knocking. Pischuli, open for me. Achoisi, my sister. Rayosi, my beloved. God is saying, I am knocking, but you need to open. And thus, therefore, the verse doesn't begin with, and they shall give. Because it needs to start with the heavenly voice. It needs to start with God giving. God knocking on our door. But our job is, the yikhu, and you shall take me. Receive me. Open your heart for me. Open your mind for me. I am here to empower you. But you need to be receiving it. And thus the first level of Tirumah is the Yikhu and take and they shall take. And this is how the beginning of the relationship with God is. Our first part of our relationship is to humbly open up and accept. Receive the empowerment. And we're going to see later, we'll soon explain what this is. How do we open and take? Let's go to the next concept. What's the problem with just taking? So before we explain how to take, I want to talk about what the problem with taking is on a mystical level. I'm not talking about the selfish taking. We're saying that you have to take. We, we, without taking from God, we, we have nothing to give. But what's wrong with taking? The problem with just taking from God even when we open ourselves up to receive on a Kabbalistic and, and, and Hasidic level is as follows. That which comes from above never becomes one with us. 
even though we're opening to receive however we're receiving it as a cup receiving within it but the cup never becomes one with it and therefore it doesn't remain forever with us it fades away one of the examples for this is on a scientific level there's the NDE near-death experiences studies have shown that near-death experiences never last a guy has an accident and a near-death experience oh my god I'll, I'll never drive crazy I'll never drive without a seatbelt and then within two weeks he'll be cutting off other cars again unless he does another work which we'll talk about soon but just from the NDE that which comes from above to below is never truly absorbed with the within the below that it becomes the nude below and affects it on a permanent level that's the problem of taking from God it never becomes us however that is why there's a two-way relationship with God there's the taking in which it comes from above to below and we're nothing more than recipients and then there's the giving from below to above two different dimensions and now this is why in the second offering when it comes from within us the wife arouses the husband the Jew arouses and, and reaches up and yearns to God then what happens is when it comes from within ourselves that's a transformation and that transformation can be permanent so we have here specific properties of each of these two offerings you see in the first offering we're just receiving but it doesn't become us the second offering it's from within us and thus in the second offering it speaks about the inspiration of the heart because it's got to come from within me I have to inspire myself to a point of generosity of selflessness and thus therefore I want to be clear about the different properties of the first tirumah in which we're just taking it's coming from above to below and we just have to open up to receive it and the second tirumah which we need to work on inspiring our hearts it should come from below to above so the first offering is from above to below God empowering us therefore a it doesn't need for us to be inspired from below within ourselves we just have to open ourselves up however it does need for us to open and take it thirdly being that it is from God it is infinite and eternal and lastly it doesn't become one with us and will eventually stop affecting us it is eternal but its impact on us is not permanent because it doesn't become us it doesn't create a transformation now let's talk about the second offering what are the properties of the offering from below to above so the second offering which is from below to above is is us reaching for inspiration within ourselves and therefore a it needs to first be we, we it needs for us to first be inspired from below within ourselves we need to inspire ourselves it's going to come from below number two it isn't about us opening up and taking 
but rather is about, about uh, uh, it is about us giving to God. Number three, being that it is from us mortals, it is finite. The it is finite. However, lastly, it becomes one with us, changing and permanently affecting us. Now that we understand the difference between these two on the Kabbalistic level, now let's talk about what this means in our personal service to God. So you shall make a you shall make a sanctuary for me, Betocham is plural. So our sages want to know why does it say you shall make for me a sanctuary and I will dwell in them, plural. So one of the famous uh, answers is that God's already telling us that there's going to be, besides the tabernacle, there's going to be the first temple, the second temple, in between the tabernacle and the, te and the temple, there was 368 years, that in Shiloh there was a, a half tabernacle, a half temple. So God's saying, I'll always dwell in it. But then there's a beautiful teaching from the Rashi's Chachma that says as follows, Betocham, betoch kol echad ve'echad. I will dwell in them. If you make from me from yourself, make from yourself a sanctuary, and I will dwell within you. That's what God says. Thus, the teachings tell us that every detail, including the offerings that had to be given in order to create the sanctuary, applies in our personal life. So what are these two, these first two offerings, trumot, what are they? in our personal life and our personal relationship with God. So to understand this, I need to take you to the Hebrew word truma. And as you always know, you can download my my um, my uh, notes and you'll be able to see it, but I'll just show it to you here. I hope you can see this clearly. So you see over there, there's the word truma. Tafresh mem vavhei. Now the word truma, you'll see the first interpretation that was given is break it into two words Torah Mem now Torah Mem the letter Mem in Hebrew has the numerical value of 40 and what it simply means is that the Torah which was given to Moses in 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai now according to this the word Terumah refers to Torah study we'll soon see the second one I want to show you. The second one is a different play of the word truma. Hope you can see it. It's tre memea, two of a hundred. Take away two from a hundred, and you're left with ninety-eight. What is that? What that means is that the central part of our prayer, one of the central parts of our prayer, is the Shema Yisrael. Now, the primary part of that prayer, even though it's made up of three portions. But really, the primary biblical part of saying that Shema is the first verse, and our sages included a second verse. The first verse is, Hero Israel, God is our God, God is one. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Now, if you add up the letters of that verse, you'll end up with 25 letters. The second verse is, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto Le'olam Va'ed. Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. Now, if you add up those Hebrew letters, you're going to have 24 letters. So, 25 and 24 equals 49. 
Now, we say the Shema twice a day. When you lie yourself down and when you wake up. We say it in the, mor in the night prayer and in the morning prayer. 2 times 49 equals 98. Thus, the Shema Yisrael, which is all about self-sacrifice, is made up of 98 letters. Trei Mimea. So, what we see over here is that these two teachings on the word Tirumah, the simple word Tirumah means donation, but these deeper mystical meanings tell me that the word Tirumah has two services. The service of Torah study and the service of prayer. Now, what is the difference between these two services? What is Torah study? Torah study is not my words. Torah study is for me to study God's words. Torah doesn't come from me to God. It's God gave me the Torah. Thus, Torah study is from above to below. That's the first Truma. Our job is to take it. The Yichuli Truma. Take the Torah. Don't create the Torah. God forbid. God wrote the Torah. And our job is just to understand and receive what God gave us. Prayer is the exact opposite. Prayer is all about me asking God for my needs. Prayer is all about from below to above. Prayer demands the refinement of the heart. And thus by the second one it says, he who is heart inspires him to generosity. It's from above to, it's from below to above. Now, there is also the third Tiruma. I told you there's three offerings. The first one is Torah study. Our job is Vijikhu, take, receive, understand. The second one is give with a generous, inspired heart. That's prayer. Talk to God. But then there's a third Tiruma, and the third Tiruma is the service of Bechol Derechecha Deeyu, Bechol Masecha Lashem Shemayim. May all your actions be for the sake of heaven, and may in all your ways know Him. That's the third Tiruma. Now, I want to go back for a moment to the second Tiruma. So the second Tiruma is about giving. So the next topic we're going to talk about is taking after giving. So there's the studying the Torah before you pray. There is the, in, in all the Hasidic yeshivas, before you start praying, you have an hour and a half study of Hasidut, of understanding and meditating and receiving God. And then there is the prayer. And then after praying, you go back to learn. Like our sages say, to go from the house of prayer to the house of study. Now, there is a very, very interesting concept here. And that is that when you receive after giving, it's a total different dimension of giving. Thus, the first Tiruma is talking about Torah study before prayer, just receiving. The second Tiruma has two parts to it. On the one hand, it is the giving, pray, reach into your heart, arouse yourself from within yourself, and talk to God, 
humbly ask God. And then the second part of the second Truma is the Torah study that comes after you pray. Now what is, what is the difference? The difference is that Torah study before prayer is before we have refined ourselves. And unfortunately, the arrogance of the mind thinking that it can dominate the Torah can create from the Word of God, the Talmud says, Sam HaMavet. It can become a potion of death, poison. The arrogance. Instead of opening up to hear what God said, I'm going to tell God what He said and how I understand it and what it's really all about. That's why only after prayer, after the cleansing of the heart, the humility, after being able to break the arrogance and to be able to say one second, this isn't about me, this is about hearing God. Then we reach, it's very interesting, we reach to a point where our sages say, and I quote to you the verses, the verse in Isaiah says, my words that I have placed in your mouth. And then there's the verse in Psalms, which says, my tongue will proclaim your word. That's what prayer does. It softens us. It humbles us that we should be able to be nothing more than conduits for God's word. Not me putting into the words my interpretation, but rather me opening up to hear. And that's why in the second Truma, it says Trumati. God be, talks about it in a possessive way, my Truma. Meaning that through prayer, we now understand that when we study Torah, we're not studying a great wisdom. We're studying God's wisdom, the Holy Word of God. And thus the study is a total different level of study. So there's the taking before the giving. But then there's the taking, receiving after the giving. Humble, open, transparent. And now, one more point to talk about. One last point to emphasize here. So I shared with you that our sages said, V'yikhuli you shall take unto me also means take me. We also said that the purpose of it all is, as the verse says a little bit later, it says, um, and you shall make for me a sanctuary. Now our sages says, say that there are rare times where God uses the word li, me, in the Torah. He could have just said, make a sanctuary and I will dwell in it. Why does he say make for me? The word me refers to the essence of God. And thus our sages say, and I'll share with you what our sages say, wherever it, the verse, states li for me, it will never budge, leave, not in this world and not in the world to come. Now, why does God use that word li by the tabernacle? So here is an historical fact. So Moses built the tabernacle, Joshua obviously brought the tabernacle with him into Israel, and then eventually evolved into a mixture of the vessels and the walls that created the tabernacle of Shiloh. And then eventually, then later there was another seven years, another seven years, but let's jump to the biggie. It became the holy temple number one in, in, um, in Jerusalem. And then the, later on there was the temple number two. Now, 
if you look at the verses you'll learn in the book of Kings at that Mo that King Solomon didn't use the vessels of Moses he actually made a new menorah a new altar a new ark everything new so what happened to that which was of Moses so our sages tell us that King Solomon hid it under tunnels in Mount Temple Mount which means that while there's an argument whether the Romans did or Babylonians did or didn't take the vessels of the Holy Temple we know that everyone agrees that the Holy Ark was hidden by the king when he saw the destruction coming but what's about all the other vessels there's an argument some said he hid all of them and he made replicas and some say no the other ones were actually taken taken down to Rome however everyone agrees that the vessels of the tabernacle are eternal they were never taken away they were hidden and thus the Talmud tells us whatever Moses did is eternal it was never captured so here there's two dimensions into why God says the word Li which means it will never budge number one on a spiritual level there's a Jerusalem in heaven Yerushalayim Lamala and that is right above Yerushalayim Shalmata. That's why when we pray, we always face Jerusalem physically because our prayers go to Jerusalem physically and then go up into the spiritual Jerusalem. And up there, everything remains. But on that explanation, the eternalism of God's presence in the Holy Temple is only in a spiritual dimension. Thus we're taught that Moses' tabernacle is hidden physically in Jerusalem in the Temple Mount and there God rests. God continues to rest between the cherubim of the Holy Ark which Moses built which is physically hidden in Jerusalem. And what this does for you and I is it tells us there's a huge big difference if we say that it was destroyed and God left the physical presence his presence in the physical and we have to bring it back that would be a very hard job but now that we know that it exists physically it's just hidden it becomes so much easier for us to know that we can connect with it and by the way it's the same thing with prayers. Our sages say that you can never make a blessing in vain. So let's talk about our prayer. We pray to God, Rafa'ina, please heal. And then we make a blessing. Baruchata Hashem, blessed are you God who heals the sick. He heals everyone. Now here's the question. You don't make a blessing that God creates apples unless you eat from the apple. Then you make a bore priya eats. But the fact that there exists apples doesn't, there's no, you can't make a blessing over it. The fact that God heals sick wouldn't allow me and my Amida to say, blessed are you God who heals the sick. I have to connect with that. My prayer for my being able to be healthy and strong has to be answered by God for me to be able to finish that blessing blessed are you God who heals the sick so to the next blessing when we make a blessing please God give us sustenance 
And then we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you God, who blesses the years with sustenance. I can't make that blessing unless my very prayer, personal prayer to God for sustenance, was answered by God. I can't make a blessing when someone else eats a fruit. I can make a blessing when I eat a fruit. I can't make a blessing that God gives sustenance because He made other people rich. I can only make that blessing when God gives me sustenance. Thus, how can we ever make a blessing in our Amidah? Thus, from here, there's a proof, a halachic proof, that God physically answers. Just that it's hidden, but it's here physically. It's not that it's spiritual. No, it's physical. It's here. It's hidden here. I don't have to now create it. I don't have to bring it. I just have to reveal it and connect to it. And that's why God says, Asuli, make it for me. Because what you're making for me physically, I'll never budge from it physically. It'll be hidden, but it'll be there. And now, let's go back to the closing, which means go back to the opening modern day issue. In closing, let us take this to our daily relationship with God. The first stage in our relationship with God is not to roll up our sleeves and to throw ourselves into doing and serving. Rather, the first thing that we need to experience with God is the humility to receive from God. It doesn't begin with us engaging spiritually, mentally, and emotionally and engaging with God. Rather, it begins with hearing before talking, seeing before projecting. Only then are we empowered by God to step forward and give to God. Thank you.